Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Do you mind taking your Bible tonight and please turn to Luke 21, the 21st chapter of Luke. Tonight we will go all the way to the end of Luke 21. and We will be concentrating on verses 34 through 38. And I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that you're here this week because even though the events of the Passion, when our Lord suffered and died, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, today we are a people who are brimming with hope. And so I just want to ask you tonight, are you full of hope? Do you have hope in your heart right now? A hope that causes rejoicing and if not, I am glad that you're here tonight to celebrate with us because it's in this week, nearly 2,000 years ago, where we learned, where we were taught what it means to hope. You see, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And if that wasn't enough to hold us over, it gets even better than that. Jesus the one who was crucified many years ago, the one who was buried for a short time thereafter, the one who rose again from the dead is this same Lord who is coming again. The Bible says He's coming with the clouds in glory and He's coming to judge the living and the dead. You see, the hope that we have in Jesus is not just a past hope. It's not a present hope. It's not just a future hope. The hope that we have in Jesus is all three. In Jesus, we have past, present, future. We have a hope that transcends all time. In Jesus tonight, we have eternal hope. And Jesus has come for one reason. Jesus has come to give us hope. Jesus has come to be our hope. And all that He did in His life was to teach us to hope. So tonight what I want us to do is look at one of the most precious as well as the most precarious passages in all of Scripture, and we're going to look tonight at the Olivet Discourse. You say, well, what in the world is the Olivet Discourse? The Olivet Discourse refers to that teaching, you'll love this, the teaching that Jesus did on the Mount of Olives. That's why they call it the Olivet Discourse. You say, well, why didn't they just call it the Mount of Olives Discourse? I don't know. This is just what we call it, the Olivet Discourse. And if you were to look at chapter 21 in Luke, it, like I said, it's a precious passage, but it is a passage that is so precarious. More ink has been spilt. Well, I can say this with certainty. More ink has been spilt on this one passage of Scripture than any of the other passages surrounding it. Because in this, look, you have Jesus teaching on the end times. Just imagine, uh, there's a fascination that we have with the end times, and we should have a fascination to some degree with the end times because we are in the last days, and we've been in the last days ever since Jesus created the church by His death, resurrection, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. We are in the last days. We've been in the last days for a long time. 
What comes after the last days? The eternal state. And what does that mean? It means that we will forever be with the Lord. So the, the days that follow this are the days that time will not touch anymore. These are the last days because the days that are coming is when the days will be no more. It will be forever. So in this end time passage, Jesus, he talks about wars and persecutions and the destruction of the temple. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, all of these prophetic events. And what we want to do tonight is see if there's a way that we can wade through all the difficulty that our Lord is preparing before us. And I want to submit this to you tonight. The way for us to wade through the difficult and our way of understanding is what Jesus tells us. He wants us to focus on one thing. Everything that he has said about the wars and the persecutions and the destructions of the temple and all of this, all of that has been leading up to us focusing on one narrow point. And that one narrow point that Jesus wants us to focus on. The reason why he tells us about wars and rumors of wars and destruction and all the rest is what we see in the last part of chapter 21. Hear the word of the Lord tonight in Luke 21, beginning in verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing us to this moment. Open our hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, I want to give you three truths to have your heart ready for Jesus. That would be the title of my message tonight from Luke 21, A Heart Ready for Jesus. Number one, the first thing that our Lord wants us to know as we see this as he's narrowing our focus He's telling us all these things to tell us this thing, that He cares about your heart. God cares about your heart. Now, what do we mean when we say heart? What does He tell us here? But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed. What do we mean when we say heart? Are we talking about that muscle that's just about as big as your fist and the left of center of your chest? Is that what we're talking about? When God commands us to love Him with all of our hearts, what's He talking about? When God speaks about our hearts, He's always speaking about the center of who we are. He's always talking about what it is that makes us who we are. Now, there are many things that you can live without, but nothing else in your body will work unless you have a heart. When God calls attention to our hearts, He's calling attention to our affections. There's a phrase that I like to say to Katie is, Honey, I love you with all of my heart. Now, if I were to say to her, honey, I love you with all of my brain, that just doesn't have the same kind of effect, does it? 
I were to say, honey, I love you with all of my head, that just doesn't have the kind of ring to it that it does if I were to say, I love you with all of my heart. And this tells us something. God is not just after one part of you. God is after every part of you. God wants the whole thing. He's not satisfied with one part. See, that's the problem that many of us have is we have given Him this part and that part, but we've not let Him come to the closet. We've not let Him come cleaning everything out. We've not yet given ourselves entirely to Him. You see, Jesus, He is Lord, and He desires to have, and He is after vehemently, and will be pursuing you for the rest of your life and pursuing me too until He has every part of you. So at the end of this famous discourse, Jesus has a word. And that word that He has is a word of practical application. And look at the place where Jesus applies the sermon. Where does He apply it? He applies it to our hearts. Remember this. Christ has come in a certain way. And the way that Christ has come is He has come to make us new. And the way that Christ comes to make us new is by reforming our hearts. And this language, if we had time tonight, we would go back into the Old Testament. We would go back into Ezekiel. We would go back into Jeremiah. And we would look at the hope of the Old Testament and see that the hope of the Old Testament is the day when we will receive a new heart. Because the fact of the matter is, is that our old heart is dead. The one that beats in our chest outside of Jesus is a dead heart. Our hearts were literally intended to beat in the rhythm of God's presence. But we got out of rhythm. And the way that we got out of rhythm was we sought after so many other things. And so the problem with so many of your friends, the problem with so many of my friends, the problem with the world, and maybe the, the problem with some who are here tonight is not an intellectual problem. It's not a head problem. The problem is a heart problem. And your affections have been turned and twisted towards things that were never intended to have your affections. And our world is full of people who have misguided affections. People attached to things. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, although uh, we do know the times when people attach to bad things. It can be something that's a good thing. And they attach their hearts to this thing that was never intended to be uh, the place that their heart was intended to have its full affections. You see, our hearts outside of Jesus are, are bent not to do God's will. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah, speaking of the heart. Listen to what it says. This is why we needed a new heart. This is why the Old Testament promises the day of a new heart. Because Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful. You know what that word in the Hebrew means? That word means that it is full of twists and turns. It's crooked like a dangerous road. The heart is full of twists and turns. Crooked like a dangerous road. It is deceitful and above all things. And then the Bible says it is desperately sick. Who is it that can understand the heart? So the question that's raised in Jeremiah Chapter 17 and verse 9, who can understand it is answered by a champion who comes riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and he says, I can understand it. 
We need someone to come. We need some life that is greater than ours. Something that we can set our entire affections on and it finally be right. We need someone to come and to turn our affections. And Christ, listen carefully, Christ has come to turn our affections. He has come to be that which captivates your heart. And I pray that He does. I pray that Christ is the captivation of your heart. I pray that there's nothing in this world, there's no one in this world that turns your heart like Jesus. Because He's worth all of your heart and everything that you are. Now, don't lose place in the story. Don't lose place where we are. Luke is, is so meaningful and purposeful. And if we were to look at Luke and we were to do a little study in Luke tonight, we would see that everything in Luke hinges on chapter 9. Everything from chapter 9 turns. And in chapter 9, there's this phrase, after the transfiguration, it says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So everything after chapter 9 is Jesus heading to the cross. And as he's heading to the cross, we have Luke chapter 21 telling us this discourse about the end of the age. So don't lose your place in the story. Don't forget where you are when we read the Olivet Discourse because so many times, because we like things that talk about the end times and prophecy and the end of the age, we take this passage, we rip it out and we hold it to a place that it was never intended to be held to. So don't lose your place in the story. What's happening in the story? Christ is headed to the cross. And on the cross, He will take upon Himself the sins of the world. And what does that mean? He will take your sins. He will take my sins. He will take the sins of your neighbors, my neighbors, my friends, my co-workers. He will take the sins of the world upon Himself. And headed to His death, He is going to die a death that should have been mine. That should have been yours. Christ, after He dies, He's going to be laid in a tomb that should have been mine and that should have been yours for all eternity. And then from that tomb, He is headed, yes, the grave is not the end for Jesus. He is headed to a resurrection from death to secure a life for all who trust in Him. Christ has come for a purpose. He's come for the purpose of reforming and remaking humanity. He has come to take our cold, our stony hearts that are, that are so full of thorns that are, are bent towards evil. And He's come to give us a new heart that beats to the rhythm of His presence. That's what He's come to do. He's come to reform us. He's come to remake us. He's come to call us out from yonder to call us close to Himself. We were seeking other things other than Him, but Christ has called us to be His. You see, Christ has come to give us a new life. And in that new life, He would take we who are not walking with God and cause us to walk with Him. And the way that He did that was by what David prayed for in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. 
In other words, David's praying in Psalm 51 after he's been confronted with his sin, after he has seen the intentions and the evil of his own heart, he prays and begs God for a new heart because he knows that in his own self, in his own ways, he's out of fellowship with God. There's no way that God could look upon him. But listen carefully. On the cross, listen, on the cross, God looked away from His Son so that He could look upon you. So that He could look upon me. He took our sins, our sorrows, and He made them His very own. Listen carefully. When Jesus cried on the cross, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? When He cried on the cross that day and the Father was silent, He was silent to the prayers of the Son so that He could answer your prayers and mine. Jesus has made us His very own. And He has called us and invited us to have fellowship with Him. And on the way to the cross, He gives us a hope. On the way to the cross, listen, He gives us a hope that looks beyond, but never over the cross. He gives us a hope that looks beyond, but never over the cross. You see, the cross is God's way to ensure that we will apply what He says in these verses. When Jesus tells us, watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. The way in which we can watch our hearts is because of what happens later. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to give us a new heart that's worth watching. Because the other one's not worth watching. The other one's dead. But this one, He gives us a new one. Now, God cares about your heart. He wants all of you. And listen carefully to me. God will not stop. And He will do whatever's necessary to go to whatever links are necessary to ensure that He has all of your heart. Number two, because He wants all of our heart, we are commanded by our Lord to guard our hearts carefully. Guard your heart. And guard it carefully. You see, here's the beauty of salvation. Here's the beauty of receiving this new heart. Listen carefully. Our entire lives are to be spent receiving His reforming of us to His will. Our entire lives are now to be spent because He's given us a new heart. Our entire lives are now to be spent in submission to whatever He says. Our entire lives are learning the rhythm of our new heart. Our entire lives are learning what not to do and what to do because our hearts now have a new life. We have a new heart that beats in a rhythm that we've never experienced before. And so our entire life is learning how to walk with God in the new rhythm of our heart. Some of you have had joints replaced. My dad has had both knees replaced. And let me just say this. His knees, they work better than it did before. They do. But, but, he had to go through a time of therapy to learn how to use his new knee. And it's in the same way our lives are to be spent learning the rhythm of our new heart. We have been given this new heart. Now the rest of our lives are therapy learning how to live with our new heart. Sometimes, and you know this, if you've ever walked with Christ for any amount of time, there's some things the Lord tells you that you wish He wouldn't have said. 
Sometimes the Lord can come to you, whether it's through your personal devotion time with Him or whether it's through the preaching service. The Word of the Lord comes to our hearts and quickens our hearts and lets us know that there's this one thing that we're not obeying. And sometimes that one little part, though it may seem so insignificant, it's, it's so tough, God gets His pruning shears out and prunes us so that we can become more effective. Now we want to be effective, but nobody wants to be pruned, right? Don't prune us. No, don't cut away the dead stuff. We like that dead stuff right where it is, but God loves us so much that He's going to do that because He is teaching us in our entire lives. He is teaching. He's taking our lives. And Romans 8 says that He is conforming us. Think about it. The old image that we have when we have that conforming is on the potter's wheel. And if you've ever seen anyone make pottery, you notice that they do it very personally. They get their hands dirty, so to speak, and they take that vessel of clay and they mold it and they make it and then they have to, they don't ever go wash their hands and come back. They stay right with it because they want whatever it is to be formed into whatever image they want it to make. And that's what God's doing with us the whole part of our life. And so sometimes the commands of our Lord causes us discomfort, but we, we know what life was before Jesus. And once you have life with Jesus, nothing else will do. So all that we want to do now is live for Jesus totally and completely. Because He's the only thing that matters. You see, this is why Jesus gives us these warnings. He gives us these warnings because we need to know something. Those of us who are going to be given new hearts, we need to know something. That there are real and genuine dangers for us. Dangers for Christians. Dangers for Christians that are only, listen, dangers for you, dangers for Christians that are only avoided by discipline. Only avoided by discipline. Now, those that don't delight in discipline, listen carefully, those that don't delight in discipline are not True disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says this, those whom He loves, He chastens. Those whom He loves, He disciplines. Now let me say that a little clearer. We may not like the whooping that we get, but we sure are thankful that we got the whooping because we'd much rather be conformed to the image of Christ than for Him to take His hands off of us and leave us to be conformed to the image of the world. Because Jesus is coming guarantees that one world will remain. And the world that He is bringing is the world that will remain. And so what's He doing? He's giving us these warnings so that He can take all of the dead that remains and slough it off so that what will remain will be enough to please Him. Jesus says that you and I, He calls us to be His disciples. You know what a disciple is? The word disciple literally means learner. Now how long are we going to have to learn? How long? Here's how long. And you said it. Until He comes or calls us home. Until He comes or calls us home. I won't ever forget one time, I was about 24, I guess, and at my first church, and I took the church when I was 23. I, 
I had a successful ministry in the place before, and I was thinking that I was just going to come in there and, you know, people were just going to get saved left and right. We were going to be the fast growing. We were going to take this community, turn it upside down for the gospel, zealous and all of this. And then the first year happened. The honeymoon was over very quickly, and things didn't go exactly like I wanted them to go. And so I began to get depressed. I began to get thinking about all of these different things, never wanting to quit, but some days not wanting to preach, and just a difficult time in my life in the very beginning stages of ministry. And I won't ever forget calling my mentor at First Baptist Atlanta and asking him, talking with him, trying to stay in touch with him so that I could have his voice in my life to encourage me, which is what everybody needs to do. Who's, we're all called to do this life together. And I won't ever forget one time me talking with him and I was telling him, Scott, I don't know how much more I can take. How much Lord do I have to go before the Lord finally pulls me out? And you know what he said to me? He said, Andy, I'll tell you how much more you have to go until you die. And there's nothing left of you but all of Him. Now, how do you think that left me? You know what it did for me? It encouraged me in the sovereignty of God to realize that whatever God was putting in my life, no matter how difficult it was, was a means by which He was going to sanctify me. That is, a way and by which He was going to call me to Himself, conform me into His image. And I hope that you see the difficulty that you're facing as that. As God loving you so much, sifting you, going through you, taking what it is that doesn't delight Him out of you so that He can form in you what does. Because He cares for your heart. And we have to guard our hearts carefully. And so all of our life, God is calling us to a life of effectiveness. He's calling us to a life of walking with Him, glorifying Him. And here's the motivation. The motivation for us living the way that we live is Jesus is coming. One day, Jesus is coming coming and let me ask you are you ready for him to come are you ready for jesus to come let me ask you if you say amen or yes how do you know how do you know if you're ready well jesus tells us the way if we know we're ready what's he do he who knows your heart calls you and me to test our hearts. Look at the text. A heart that is weighed down is a heart that's not ready. And look at what's next. The Bible mentions drunkenness. You see that? Drunkenness is always a picture of a person who is seeking their own pleasures. And this is why the Bible tells us in another place that we're not to be filled with drunkenness, filled with wine, but we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the antithesis of self-filling is God-filling. And Jesus has come to teach us the difference between the two. Jesus has come to teach us the difference between knowing whether or not we're seeking God with all of our heart or whether or not we're just seeking God for our own ends. Jesus has come to teach us the difference of the two. So how can you guard your heart to ensure that you're seeking the Lord's coming? How can you do it? Well, listen. The Lord tells us. He doesn't just write enigmas. Let's just go figure it out. He tells us. And the first thing that He tells us is to watch ourselves. Do you see it? And then what's He say? Stay awake. Watch yourselves. Stay awake. In what way? And then what's He say? Pray. You see that? 
pray. How do you know if you're ready for the Lord's coming? Look at your prayer life. and See whether or not you're ready for the Lord's coming. And prayer is a point of emphasis always in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Did you know that prayer is the only thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them? Did you know that? One thing that they asked Jesus to teach them, Lord, teach us to pray. They don't ask to teach them to preach. They don't ask to teach them to be a better disciple, to be a better witness, how to read the Bible. They asked Jesus one thing, Lord, teach us to pray. Why is that? Here's the reason I think that is, because when we learn to pray, everything else falls right by the way. When we learn to pray, everything else falls right along with it. Remember what Jesus said. What did He say? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then what does He say? Everything else will fall right into place. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And that's such a powerful passage in Matthew chapter 6 where He's talking about clothing and, and money and food and all the rest. And then Jesus says, just seek after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these things will be added unto you. Prayer is our way of seeking His kingdom first. And everything else will follow. You'll only be as effective as you're praying. Our church will only be as effective as the prayer that undergirds the ministries of this church. You'll only be as effective as you're praying. And you know, this is a startling truth. The other end of the truth is we will be ineffective if we don't pray. Look at the early church in Acts. We've been doing it on Wednesday nights here, but those of you who've been in the study, you know this. We've seen it. Those of you who read Acts, you know you've seen it. Initiating, not just undergirding, but initiating and undergirding everything that the early church did, there's somebody praying. Somebody's praying. Somebody's praying. There's a group praying. You see, why would we not want to pray? Why in the world would we not want to pray? Jesus says right here in this text that prayer is our way of escape from the evils of this age. Look at it. Prayer is a way of escape the evils of this age. Jesus says that prayer is our way of strength. Listen, you don't have to know what to pray, but at least you know to pray. You may not even know what to ask, what to pray for, but at least you know to pray, and so pray. You can always do more after you pray, but you can't ever do more before you pray. Pray! When we bow before the Lord in prayer, look at this. Why would we not want to pray? Look at what Jesus says. When we bow before the Lord in prayer, we are able... Look at this. This is so good. When we bow before the Lord in prayer, we are able to stand before the Son of Man. And see, we won't be like those who shrink back at His coming. We will be able to... Look at that language. We will be able to stand in verse 36 before the Son of Man. The way to guard your heart is to pray. And that is to spend time alone with God. To have a heart that desires Him always. To have a heart that desires Him and only Him. Now listen to me carefully. I'm afraid that we have so much confusion about prayer these days. 
A lot of you don't even think about prayer because you think that having a life of prayer means that you're going to have to quit your day job and join some monastery, go down to the monastery of the Holy Spirit like these guys do and just do nothing but pray. That's not what Jesus means when He prays. A heart that desires Him always will not be a heart that stays in a closet. God isn't calling us to be monks, but God is calling us to pray. Spurgeon used to say this. He would pray each time he dipped his pen in the ink and wrote his sermons or wrote his letters. He would pray every time. You see, I think that this captures what the Lord is calling us to do. You see, the Lord, when He tells us to pray, we're having this posture of prayer, this attitude of prayer that is so consumed with His coming in such a way that our hearts, our heads, our hands, everything that we are is ready for Him. Our hearts are learning because we're guarding our hearts. We're watching our hearts. We're learning the rhythm of His presence and we're learning how to walk in it. And the way that we learn to walk in it is by talking with Him. is by listening with Him. is by having our minds not conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed through what He says. Listen. The reason that we need to guard our heart carefully is because right now, you and I, we are between two worlds. Right now, because Jesus has come, He has guaranteed that there's a world to come. Right now, we are between a world that is coming and a world that is passing away. And there is a fierce fight right now for your affections. Everywhere you go, no place is safe for your affections. There is a fierce fight in this world for your affections. Jesus, the most lovely. Jesus, the most excellent. Jesus, the Lord and God of all. He has come to be your affection and is his coming, He commands us to keep a watch on ourselves to make sure that our hearts are looking and desiring nothing but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why is that? Why? Here's the reason. One day, the reality that we see and know will pass like a vapor and the sun will rise on a day that Jesus brings. And in the words of Cyprian, the day that He brings is the reward, listen, the reward of life, the joy of eternal salvation, the perpetual happiness and the possessions of paradise once lost are now coming as the world passes away. There is no one greater for you to set your affections on. There is nothing greater for you and me to set our affections on. Number three, and finally this evening, the Lord wants us to have a heart that burns for Him. Because it is hearts that burn for Jesus that will last forever. A heart that burns for Jesus is a heart that will last forever. You see, here's the truth, and don't miss this from the text tonight. Don't miss this. The truth is, is that my heart and your heart can wander. We sing about it, don't we? And come thy fount of every blessing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Think, think about that. Hear this poor guy saying, 
prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. It's not as if he's just saying, I feel it. He feels it. And then after he feels it, he says, take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. He feels it. And instead of feeling the heart wondering, he wants to feel the secureness of knowing that his heart is the Lord's and the Lord's alone. I don't understand it. For some reason, as a believer who who is still being made in the image of Christ, I understand it myself, but I feel this wondering, but I can't explain the wondering. I don't know why my heart wonders. Do you? Isn't your prayer tonight what the Lord is saying? Guard my heart. Take my heart that's so prone to wondering and let my affections be yours and yours alone. Why do our hearts go after so many other things? Why? And when that moment comes, when our hearts go after so many other things, we have the command of our Lord right here calling us back to Him. Calling us back. Sometimes it's a whisper. And all we need is a whisper to pull us back. Other times it's a tap. Sometimes He has to shake us. But either way, He loves us too much. He has saved us and sealed us and He'll never deny us. Because if He were to deny us, the Bible says in Timothy, then He would be denying Himself. And so the Lord, all through life, we have the command of our Lord to teach us this is what your affection should be set upon. This is what living is all about. This is what it means to love. This is what it means to hope. This is what it means the Lord constantly calling us back. And there are so many dangers. But you know what the most pressing danger of your life is? The most pressing danger is the danger of every day. Look at what Jesus warned us against. Look at what He says here in verse 34. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down, dissipation, drunkenness, and then look at this last one. This is the worst one. The cares of this life. You see, Jesus told a parable about Saul back in Luke chapter 8. If you remember that story, some of those seeds that the sower sowed, they fell among the thorns. Jesus says those thorns are the cares of this life. And the cares of this life, what did they do? They choked out the life of the seed. Look at the Bible. Jesus just got through in chapter 21 and 29, the section just right before ours. He just got through telling us about a fig tree. If you remember Stephen preaching on Monday, like the fig tree, there may be some of you tonight who are trying to cover your own unfruitfulness with leaves. Adam and Eve tried to cover their unfruitfulness with fig leaves too. And it didn't work for them. And it's not going to work for you either. You may be looking pretty from the outside. Your tree may look like it's full of leaves, but as we get a little closer, you see that your heart is not consumed with the coming King. You are too busy wrapped up in the every day that you forget about that day that's coming. Hear the Lord.
night. Hear Him calling you back to Him. Jesus is coming soon. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know what might happen tomorrow. And it doesn't happen tomorrow, it may happen the next day. And if it doesn't happen the next day, then I know that it's going to happen. Because here's the reason that I know. Jesus, the One who died and rose again, He said it was going to happen. And just like He said in verse 33 of chapter 21, heaven and earth will pass away. His words will never pass away. I don't know about you tonight, but I want to have a heart that's ready for Jesus. I want to be so consumed and motivated by His coming that every affection of my life is preparing for His coming. I am ready. And I pray tomorrow I'll be more ready than I am today if He tarries. And the next day, more ready. And the next day, more ready. And the next day, more ready as I respond to this God who calls me back to Himself. I am ready. Are you ready? Let's pray together. Father, we love You. We thank You. Thank You for this passage. Thank You for calling us back to Yourself. Father, take our hearts that are so prone to wonder. Seal us for Thy courts above. In Jesus' name, Amen. How about you tonight, dear friend? Are you ready? If Jesus were to come back right now, would He say to you, enter into the joy of my rest? Or would He say, depart from me, I never knew you? You say, well, what's the difference? Are you right now believing in Jesus for the salvation of your soul? Are you right now hoping and longing for His return? Or, or, are you one that's so choked out by the cares of this world that people can't even tell what kind of fruit you bear? Tonight may be a night for some of you to confess Christ for the first time. It may be the night for you to come to Jesus and look forward like we do to the day when He'll split the eastern sky and come, and come back to get us. Others of it, you may look at your own heart and after hearing a message like this, you need to apply the truthfulness of God's Word to your heart. You need to guard yourself. You need to see the heart that's not affectionate to Jesus and you need to pray, Lord, here's my heart. Take and seal it. Whatever decision you need to make, I'll be right here waiting if you need me. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.